Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Usman. Got a special episode lined up here with my good friend, Walid Jamil, who is a learning expert. And we're going to go into detail in this episode about learning, about how to make sure that learning is effective in the way that it's constructed, the way that it's delivered, and understanding how to tailor things for particular audiences. In this episode, we'll be going through how learning has changed. And in particular, there's a lot of important lessons for Muslim organizations as they're publishing more and more content online to make sure that that content is effective. And we talk about how to even determine whether things are effective and a lot of other topics. Let's dive right in. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Uh, the links are in the show notes. And let's take it from there. All right, everyone, we're joined with Waleed Jamil, who's a learning expert. Uh, his full-time work is developing, delivering, and measuring learning at scale. Uh, what that means is figuring out how to take learning curriculums and optimizing them so that they can be successfully completed by thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Did I miss anything? I think that pretty much catches it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for those of you who are regular listeners of my podcast, <laughs> all five of you, I think they're all related to me probably, uh, you will recognize Waleed from the Nobody Cares About Your Halal Burger episode from his uh, Crocs. There you go. There I was waiting go. for that. Thank okay. you so much. I had to mention that. There you go. Okay. So we're going to talk about online learning, uh, Islamic learning, the way learning has changed. And just to give a brief, like, you know, 50-year summary in 15 seconds type of thing. Uh, Islamic learning traditionally has been done in the same format. You go, you sit with a teacher, you study from the teacher for 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years. And that teacher or the, you know, the teachers that you study with teach you the Quran, they teach you Hadith, they teach you Fiqh. Uh, in your interaction with them, you also pick up on, you know, the spiritual aspects, Tharbiya, manners, how to act, how to answer questions, all those types of things. This became formalized in kind of university setting. So four-year program, six-year program, 10-year program, master's degrees, PhD, so on and so forth. And then in the past decade or so, we've seen learning change drastically. Um, we've gone from you know, for example, people in America having to go overseas and study, they're now able to study here and there's different avenues, whether it's, you know, the weekly class at the Mashad obviously is one thing, but now we have weekend seminars, we have intensives, and we have a now proliferation of online content. So there's classes delivered via podcast, there are, you know, like series on YouTube, sometimes hundreds of hours of videos on a particular subject on YouTube. There are online courses that you can take. Uh, and so there's all different types of things. And I think every Islamic organization now is trying to leverage how they can use the online platform to enable people to learn about their religion. So what we want to go through today is talking about not only how to do that effectively, but we were talking off mic, and I think you'll agree here that there's a lot of mistakes that people are making uh, in this regard. 
This is where you talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. You're talking about the um, uh, the 50 year summary over here. Um, it, it reminds me of the apprenticeship models that uh, blacksmiths would have, right? Um, in order to train the next generation of uh, blacksmiths, you would have somebody come in, be with them, and they would grow up with them. They would understand the behaviors, how the, the industry works, the soft skills, the hard skills of how to be a blacksmith here. Um, but as uh, mass scale education came about more and more, well, they started saying, hey, how can we um, take some of these skills and put them in a classroom and have one subject matter expert teach 50 kids at once over there? So optimize it, make it more efficient. Scalable, everything is such, right? Absolutely. And there is definitely value in there. But I think that one of the, one of the words that you mentioned here was uh, the tarbiya, the character and the etiquette and the manners. You lose that in a large group setting here altogether here. You go from... Um, I have 15 apprentices with me to I have now 150 students that I'm teaching in this master's level course alone. Even at that scale, you started losing that, that human connection for the students to learn from you. They're learning the content, but that's different than learning it from you and how you're behaving in those, uh, how you're living that so content let, itself. Let's dive in because this, this is actually one of the bullet points that we're going to talk about was mm -hmm. this idea of structured learning versus unstructured learning. And structured learning being that there's a, a particular curriculum, mm -hmm. you know, you follow the curriculum, you take a test on the curriculum, uh, that sees how well you, you know, learn the material or retain the material or whatever the case may be, and then you move on. With the unstructured, you know, there's, we always hear these sayings in the Islamic tradition that, you know, I sat, this a scholar will say, I sat with such and such scholar and for the first 20 years I learned adab and then I began to learn yep. knowledge. And that... You know, someone might listen and be like, what, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But what they're saying is that the value of the unstructured learning was for them very important because they learned how to interact, how to conduct themselves, uh, getting kind of that apprenticeship, so to speak. So the, when you see the phrase structured versus unstructured, and then you lean towards the, you mentioned the curriculum aspect. I, I think that if we were to ask the blacksmith, was your apprenticeship model unstructured? You're like, no, uh, they went through certain curriculums with us, or rather they went through right. certain learning experiences. They couldn't just start forging the fire immediately. They had to understand the basics and the maintenance of the equipment and how to be respectful to your work environment and everything such there. There's a structure there. However, from a uh, modern pedagogical perspective it does seem unstructured because it's open-ended it's there's right. no learning or, outcomes established or there's another way of looking at it maybe is there might be a structured curriculum but there's things outside the curriculum that are also vital for a person's development yes hmm. yes and i think that's where the character aspects comes in which is extremely important right now um one of the other things that i was thinking about as we were talking about this you talk about the future of learning um, specialists here. What does a learning professional future look like? And when we get to that topic, curator versus creator, I think that's, okay. what, uh, that's what's going to pop up here. But back to this right now. So, so the question is, so as Islamic organizations are moving more toward online delivery, mm -hmm. uh, what that means is that people are making their videos or their you know, pre-recorded content, putting it up online, but there's a lot of value lost in the unstructured aspects mm -hmm. of it. So, for mm -hmm. example, if I go and I attend, let's say, like a, a week-long intensive, mm -hmm. part of the unstructured aspect is just the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood. Mm -hmm. uh, just meeting other people. Mm -hmm. The other conversations, kind of the, I hate using the buzzwords, but the synergy and 
all that stuff. But there, you know, there's a lot of these intangibles that are very valuable for a person's development. Can that be retained as learning shifts online? I, I think that... Um, or is there other ways to maybe produce that same effect? So I think that... That's an interesting question. Can it be transferred to an online medium or delivery platform where there are these, these unstructured learning aspects, or these synergies, these brotherhoods, this character development that happens as you watch from your own eyes how your teacher is behaving in different contexts, how your teacher is behaving as a, as a neighbor, as a father, as someone who's exhausted, as someone who's, who's trying to um, uh, stay true to their commitment despite having a migraine, things like that, right? Yeah. Real lightness of uh, real life application of this knowledge basically. Um, so I think that uh, when we look at our learners and students from 50 years ago, um, they are at that time, even when you had VCRs and mass production of learning, their application of all this was still in person. Today though, when we talk about digital learning here and character development, there is a component of us that needs to know how to behave online. Am I making sense? Yeah. So you do need to see how your teachers are existing in that online medium as well, I think now. All right. However, that isn't a majority of your character development. It's still a very small stake because we don't have technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality that are, that are um, integrated into our day-to-day -day existence that make it so easy for us to engage online fully or in a more deeper way yet. We're still in the early stages of that online platform. So the those aspects still can't be replicated no, or be. or replaced. But but do we need to be uh, aware of them so that we can think about these as our learning technologies grow? I think yeah. It's just we don't have that answer yet because that new delivery platform isn't built yet. We don't fully understand the challenge that will bring about to our engagement as uh, as humans itself. So the thing that I worry about, and you tell me if you've seen the same, is a lot of organizations are saying, okay, we can leverage this awesome online thing that we can deliver learning at scale mm -hmm. to thousands of people. Uh, but is there any thought being put into how to develop the informal aspects of learning? No. no. There's a difference. I wouldn't even say that they're delivering learning at mass scale. They're delivering information at mass scale. Learning happens when you've taken that information, applied to a certain learning outcome, and you've demonstrated that itself. I have learned to do something. Wudu, all right? In yeah. some context here. I see an information course online that talks about how to do wudu. Here are the 10 easy steps to do wudu. Right. Great, that's information. But is it learning yet? No, learning is for you as a learner to perform. You have learned something because you've gone from confusion about a topic to clarity about a topic, and you're executing that information now. I have learned to do something. I can't claim I've taught you something, Omar, until I can see that being demonstrated. How are they seeing these skills being demonstrated? Until I, I see that assessment in you or that change in you, all I've done is given you information. Mm. Wonderful. That's a very important distinction. It's hugely important. I mean, Wikipedia is not a learning site. It's an information site because it's not out there to change you. Uh, that's not their mission. Their mission is to provide that information to everybody, right? How is that different than a online education portal of any sort? You know, blacksmithing, one-on-one, welding, or Islamic education. It's right. not an Islamic information site that you're subscribing to. Linda, 
it's an information site. What you do with it, that's when the learning transforms here, right? It's like a cooking channel. You can watch a bunch of people cook, but it doesn't mean you know how. Dude. I'm a really good example of that. Uh, yes, you, <laughs> yes, you are, but we're very proud of you. Um, so I think that uh, the other aspect here is that when the learning academies that I've developed successfully in, in, in my life, um, my, my ex-boss, um, phenomenal guy, a bit insane, but phenomenal insane, um, he insisted that we have all of our courses facilitated all of our digital courses facilitated. And what that meant was that we would onboard people from 70 plus countries uh, every month uh, into our company. And they would all have a facilitator guiding them. One, two, they were, they were put into small communities. We had 24 students in a, cl a digital classroom at a given time. Mind you, we didn't have virtual reality. We didn't have augmented reality. And this is about eight, nine years ago, 2007. So probably not even very stable video conferencing. No, we didn't have video conferencing at all. Okay. Because when we were talking about students sitting in, um, oh, oh, say, um, Kenya uh, and South Africa and Australia, you can expect there to be same, similar bandwidth uh, accessibility um, to, to their digital content or learning platform. All we had was um, asynchronous learning experiences. So they would come online, they would chat in a discussion form and go away. But Can you explain what asynchronous learning is oh, real quick? Because absolutely. a lot of people probably aren't familiar with absolutely. that term. Yeah, good point. Um, synchronous learning means that it's in real lifetime. Um, like a class. Like physically a class. Physically in a class. Exactly. Everyone's or, doing the same thing at the same time. This conversation between you and me is synchronous. If it was asynchronous, it would be, you've said something, sent me that audio file as a question, I responded to it in an audio format, sent it back to you, and then you're piecing it all together. Just like a slow discussion forum is an example. So of text it. message. Text message. Uh, yes, versus live chat. Guy chat okay. is your you can see somebody respond to you. Okay. Text message, it'll come back to you. Right, so the asynchronous learning. So we would have asynchronous learning. But the difference was that there was a facilitator who was paid to come in daily and follow up on every single person. I know this because I have reports on every single person on a weekly basis for eight years there. On how they how they were engaging, how they were performing. Was there any gaps in their um in uh, in their interaction online? That transform that information of a course to a learning course for, in my opinion, because we were able to A, assess them, and B, there was a community that we created for every one of these people every month for years. So you have a community and you have learning outcomes. Yeah. So what are, what would learning outcomes look like? Um, I think there's a, uh, for, for, for our listeners here, they, they would Google up a phrase called Bloom's Taxonomy, B-L-O-O-M, no, B-L-O-O-M-S, taxonomy. It, it, uh, it, it breaks down the different levels of acquiring information and converting it from data to an actual piece of knowledge that you can do something over here. First, it's just reading something, then it's uh, understanding it, then it's synthesizing it, then it's uh, so on and so forth. There's, different, there's like six different levels in there. Um, we would design our learning to follow that as much as possible. So in the first week, we'll give them some information, have to do something with that information, and so on and so forth. Um, for us, though, more importantly, it was the storytelling aspect that came to be very, very powerful. Um, all this information is great, but how can you apply it in your life? That relevancy was supremely significant. So this is something where in the context of Islamic organizations, mm -hmm. you know, there, obviously there's a huge trend 
to again to leverage putting the information online. So there's tons and tons of classes online. There's information delivery. Mm -hmm. What would your advice be for how to attach learning outcomes to that, as opposed to just saying like, okay, hey, we've got this library. Here's you know this. Uh, here's a tafsir of the whole Quran, for example, right? Or here's, you know, 10 chapters of fiqh all explained, you know, salah, wudu, zakat, fasting, financial transactions, whatever. Here's this library of information of a teacher teaching these things, and that's all accessible. I can sit and I can download, I can consume these videos, I can consume the audio, I can read the material. But in terms of the organizations creating the content or publishing the content, how can they use this idea of communities and learning outcomes to make that learning more effective? So I, I think that uh, I would imagine as a design thinking project right now, if you were to doodle up and just say, hey, let's just creatively come up with some ideas here. Um, there is an opportunity for mass-scale information. That does need to happen. There needs to be some place where people can go up there and just in a open-ended, uh, uh, open area for, uh, place, search for whatever topics they want to. All right, almost like a YouTube of content. And they can yeah. say, hey, I'm looking up how to do uh, wudu um, while traveling in an airplane wearing airplane socks, which do these qualify as for doing um, wiping or wiping? Yeah. yeah, great. So they can search that up there and they can find some answers. Or how do I determine prayer time as well on an international flight? Exactly, exactly. Okay. You know, so there is room opportunity for all that there as well. If the learning outcome is to create um, thoughtful, uh, lead, not leaders, or thoughtful Muslims at these different levels in the society, right? Be it the youth leader at the Islamic Center, be it the president of your local uh, Islamic uh, charity, or, you know, household leaders themselves as well, right? Um, I think that's where the community aspect comes online very powerfully. How can you create small pockets of communities? Um, it doesn't have to be when I say, uh, localized communities. It can be a digital community. That's not impossible here but then you need to supplement them with other energies. So let's say that you say, um, we want to create a, oh, let's say, support forum for new fathers so they can understand how to be uh, intelligent Muslim fathers with their first children here. All right, how do you create learning around that? Well, there's a whole bunch of information already available. Here are the rights of the kids, here are the rights of the families, here are the, here's how you take care of your wife, here's how you, the psychology behind things nowadays, here's the five love languages, blah, blah, etc. There's a lot of information available right. already. To apply that, you have a community that says, hey, um, you're going to be a father in three months from now. We're kicking off 25 people online, led by such and such person who's been a father for the past, let's say, 10 years, and he can guide you through whatever questions you may have. He becomes a facilitator in that conversation. Um, I think that that can then be done through, um, if it's local, great, do local meetups. If it's uh, not local, then yeah, you can do video conferencing as well because these are support sessions for people to come and connect together, answer the question and disconnect right. um, uh, and, 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 and engage in either digital communities, WhatsApp groups and other areas, whatever is there. So there is that opportunity there. Uh, what I'm getting to here is it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, 
the the person leading this though they have to be uh, a guide on the side versus being a sage on the stage and i think that's mm. what i want to shift away from here more and more you go to your undergrad level course at college with 2000 students and there's a professor standing up there and he's a sage on the stage and he knows everything and he's going to communicate everything to you and you learn from him and it is very largely comes across as one way communication right it's data being passed from professor to student not even necessarily information not learning because you you go home and you try to figure things out on your own versus um hi i'm omar i have gone through this uh process and i can be your guide on the side here's a wealth of information available outside that's all great we're going to talk about different contexts of how to apply this information here so in today's session we're just going to talk about hey um you've had a baby it's been a week what are you doing what are you going through how does this impact your work let's just talk about these stories and then we'll sprinkle it with islamic wisdoms on how to apply all this and if you need more information on these things here click here and it'll take you to 15 more videos about um whistle for the child or cutting the hair how to cut the hair, hair for the newborn or akika basics great all those topics are there but you be the guide on the side i think that's where i see a lot of corporate learning as well shifting to as well right now and i'm working on establishing guides there versus sages on the stages so if we so actually i think this answers one of the big questions we wanted to talk about which was the future of islamic online learning or how to reform online islamic learning and i, and I think what i'm hearing is we have tons of experts already and we have a lot of an abundance of excellent information available yeah uh, but what we're missing is what you said curator versus creator yeah is we need people who can help to filter the content relevant to a, the intended audience exactly i think that that's that's severely absent here there it's because right now we're just dumping information accessible to everyone because in our, you know, in the Muslim mind, it's, I get more reward if I reach 100,000 people with oh, yeah. this Abs class. Absolutely. Please forward my email and then everyone gets subtajari and we're all good people. Yeah. I just hate those emails. Um, the, uh, in, in sales, uh, what you talk about, uh, let me just give out all this information to everybody. It'll be great. Uh, in my previous job, uh, we used a phrase for our sales team and we told them not to do this, which was show up and throw up like mm. show up to a customer site and be like blah here's the 17 options we have for you and which one would you like and the customer's like um i guess i'll take option number three but that's not that's not really being intelligent about your customer engagement this is really interesting in a empathy workshop shake up the nasser he always explains we go through surat al-juma and there's an ayah there that the uh it's addressed to the rabbis that they would come and they would uh leave the people like donkeys carrying books um and the and often we hear the eye and we think donkey carrying books is like us that we have an abundance of information and we don't act on it so we're dumb uh but the address was actually to the to the teachers Teacher. because what they were doing was they were dumping information on people in a way that they couldn't handle it and they turned the audience into donkeys carrying books and so the reprimand was actually that you're not teaching them in the appropriate manner you're just dropping the info and running off that's 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 pretty much what it is feels like right now and so we i mean we have a lot of information overwhelm and and that's all by the way that's, 
it's not that that is new now. If you go back, and if I was to ask my dad, um, Abu, how did you not have enough information? Is that the case? Because clearly we have too much. No, he had a ton of information back in his day as well. He had encyclopedias, he had books, he had articles. He had very, very experienced people around him. He also suffered from information overload in his context. Yeah. We are still suffering from the same. But in our context, it doesn't matter if you have 100 times more information or a million times. At a certain point, it's just too much. So, so from the perspective of an organization, then they should be splitting or identifying, and, and we use this term at work, but the user stories. Yes. Who is who is the audience and what do they need? And right. It's going to be different. So one person might need to... One person might be traveling on a flight and they just need to know, how do I figure out the prayer time on a plane? And they just need to be given the answer and move on. Someone else needs to know how to derive that ruling. Yes. Someone else needs to know what are the 12 different opinions about this ruling and why, you know, whatever whatever the case may be. But I think the part that's missing is we're not separating out the audiences. Can I, can I switch to a corporate analogy over here? Sure. At work, we have... Which uh, SQL server should we be using? Should we be using Amazon Web Services? Should we be using uh, Microsoft Azure? Whatever, which platform should we be developing our own? Which language should we use to develop it on? What GitHub should we be using? What developers should we be hiring? Which location, etc., etc. But to the end user, now that matters. The end user just wants to do it. It just job. needs to work. They just need to work. I need to be able to save and, my file without any problem. And can I please just share my file and just move things around from left to right here? Can I get information when I need it in the context I need it versus you must come to my website and learn things my way? I, I see that we are... The Islamic education uh, framework um, is going through natural growing pains right now. It'll get there. But uh, I, I think that... Uh, the corporate learning area, because it is at the end of the day very financially driven, if you don't learn fast enough, or if you're not able to adapt your learning styles to empower your employees fast enough, you will lose out on money-making opportunities. I think there's a lot we can learn from there. Take their lessons and their wisdoms and whatever yeah. they come up with and, and take into ours. So I, so it's funny. I, I see people trying to do this, but it's what it turns into is, Islamic organization X launches some online thing and suddenly, you know, so many thousand people are downloading it or watching it or whatever the case may be. So everyone else says, oh, we need to do the same thing. Clearly it's working. Yes, clearly it's working. So let's copy it. Let's make our own thing. So we make our library. We put up our courses and we try to get our thousands of people. Um, I guess the question that I have is how do people determine whether they're adding value, whether they're learning, the measurement aspect. How can they tell, mm-hmm. is our learning actually successful? Because I, th- I think the trap, and I don't want to go on too much of a rant or a tangent, most people's metric for success is the revenue that comes in. That the online learning is an easy revenue generator, so let's throw up our stuff online, get people to pay, and this many people are signed up, this many so, people are paying, so it's successful. So... <laughs> I, I don't think that in I think the revenue focus should be there. Okay. But but how much you focus on and where which aspect of the revenue focus on that's important. Um, so it's where it's prioritized in the conversation. Where yes yes now as an example here, um, 
learning and development uh, entities within the corporate context are are often looked at as support functions. And what that means is that they're not held financially accountable for how much money they spend. When you're not held accountable for how much money you're spending, you're a little bit looser. You can be responsible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my past lives, I've always been in L&D functions where we had to justify all of our expenses. It focuses us to be frugal, sometimes over frugal, but, it, 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 but sometimes rightfully frugal on the, on the places where we could make the most impact. If you only have a thousand dollars, where are you gonna spend it, right? Um, versus, eh, you got money in the bank, just keep buying everything left and right, and then nothing works. Nothing will work elegantly. Everything is sort of making progress. A very expensive hodgepodge. Yeah. Now, I so I, I think that uh, having a budget, having a financial focus in uh, online uh, Islamic academies is useful, as long as fits into your strategy narrative right. here, which, which I don't know, different places, different things here. Now, if your strategic narrative is that we want to simply be the Netflix of Islamic education on topic ABC, great, you, you do that, and you've done that, you've made all the videos about it, you know, you are the library for everything related to um, Sahabas, okay. all right? You know, not, not the Sira, but you are like the Sahaba, we, uh, uh, resource exactly yeah. that's you guys here wonderful you've achieved that outcome over there but if your if your goal is to create once again um, thoughtful learners who will question who will grow who will who will keep seeking more knowledge even after your program has finished after your learning library has uh, made its impact on them that's a very different learning outcome you see when we talk about learning metrics over here um, you said how do you uh, how you figure out reports on these depends goes back to what is it that you're trying to measure and that is even the Islamic organizations I've worked with it's it's a mixed bag so um, one of the places I worked in for example all their measurements were very revenue driven how can we make sure more and more people log into us so that we keep retaining them as customers and we can keep making more money. Great. As long as you're frank about this thing, you know, let your customers know that's my goal. Because yeah. it's, it's totally cool to make money as Islam supports that. But just be frank about it versus... That you're doing this as revenue generator yeah. not to teach you anything. <laughs> well, my primary focus is to make money. And if in the process you learn something, good for you, buddy. But I have made money. Okay, then knock yourself out. So if someone was... How would they measure learning then? Like, what would be the way to say, like, okay, we created this online course, or I, you know, I created let's, this. Let's, let's use this example. I created this ten video course on the life of Abu Bakr. Okay. okay? How and five hundred people sign up. Mm -hmm. My revenue target is met. Okay, but how how do I go the step further and and figure out your value? The value that I added. Did I just did I just produce 10 more videos to the million that already exist and so now it's a million and 10 is that the value that i added or is there a way for me to determine my 10 videos led to blank outcome in the people that listen to it or this type of change or this type of development so that is that, that that's an interesting question and even in the learning circles that i'm a part of similar questions regarding corporate learning have not been answered Right, because every soft skill falls into the same category. It's how do you how do you measure the value of this learning 
in the employee's life. I taught them how we to We put ex- them in a leadership class. What happened? I taught them Excel. Are they using more marks of Excel now? Even that is a hard thing to, to, to measure. Yeah, did their pivot table quality increase by 10%? Ooh, la la. <laughs> oh my God. That would be, actually, that would be really cool if we could figure out how to do that. We could make millions of just pivot tables alone. I don't know how to make a pivot table. I know, I know. Nobody does. Nobody does. But seriously, listen, side note, we should... We should Our revenue generator we, idea. Right. <laughs> just pivot tables 101. That's it. Um, so I, uh, in the corporate learning, uh, there's, a, there's a very... Um, the chief learning officer is, is a very famous, uh, popular learning magazine out there. Uh, we went to conferences for that. Me and my, uh, my boss did back in the day, uh, 10 years ago. And uh, to figure out how do you measure learning? How is corporate measure learning? And he came back with a two-worded answer. He said, Willie, it depends. It depends on what you're trying to measure. So we shifted from a return on investment to a return of expectation in our, in our learning strategy, which was what are we expecting this learning to do? Can we get a sense of some metrics around that? As an example, if we teach people um, the history of the company, are they, does that hopefully influence their behaviors in how they deal with our new, uh, with our new customers? We don't know that. We just have some, some senses around that. It's almost like diving by the stars at night. It, that's mm-hmm. that's cool. Now, let's go back to your example of Abu Bakr. Um, knowledge, skills, abilities. Those are the three large camps that information kind of falls in. Are you giving them knowledge? Are you giving, teaching them a skill? Are you giving them what ability are they able to perform uh, as well? Uh, with Abu Bakr, a lot of it is knowledge-based, how right. you behave, et cetera, et cetera. But there are some skills in there as well, obviously. Um, skills of patience, skills of communication, skills of ibadah, skills of uh, so on, so on, so on, so on. Um, one example for you could be, well, after this, how has this... And it's very qualitative. Yeah. Stories from the end users themselves. Can you tell me when you consciously thought of applying these in your life there? So a lot of it is... Tactically, a lot of it boils down to taking surveys it, and, and I, soliciting I, feedback. Right, I don't like the word surveys because it's just so overused nowadays. Yeah. It's exhausting. You get a survey, you're like, I don't want to do this in here. Right. But as learners, you and I know those things are insanely valuable. Um, I, I, I make a point whenever I deal with any business. I say, can I send an email back to your manager about a good, about a good performance? I did that with my home insurance the other week. The guys were seriously happy with it. They're like, thank you so much. Nobody tells us this stuff. I'm like, yeah, because you know there's survey fatigue out there. Yeah. Um, but that's the beauty of being in a small community where you're the guide of 25 people. There's a quality of relationship you have with your communities that when you put up your hand and say, "Hey, did this lesson make sense to you guys? Did you find it valuable? How did you find it valuable?" Mm. Because you're in a small community, there's a significantly higher um, return on communication as well. That but, somebody. So it's really sometimes it's almost as simple as just being focused on getting the feedback. It is, but. 500 students versus 25 students. You can't reach out to 500 people. It's yeah. just it's just not humanly possible to be personable at that large volume in a short amount of time. If you have a year, that would be different. But you know you need your right. feedback results in one week. Now, getting that that feedback from that point here, that's where the stories come from. Um, as an example, there are some surrounding metrics you can think about that are a little different than your standard stuff. If you look at the movie theater experience on that, uh, one way we see how successful a movie is is uh, how much money did it make, right? Um, how well did Finding Nemo do? Well, ticket sales, great. But could we have other metrics around that? 
as an example, how many, how long did people stay outside the movie theater after the movie? How early did people show up? How happy were they? What kind of noise levels existed outside the movie theater once the movie was finished? How many popcorn refills did they ask for during the movies itself here? Right. You see, there's these other guiding metrics around it that kind of tell you how well... Someone has to pay attention to. Yeah, and sometimes you think about it. Now, take that book for example here. What kind of, well, secondary or tertiary metrics could we think about here? Right, like there's, there's the technical ones, like what was the video watch time? Exactly. Did people watch it all the way through? Oh, how many times did they watch What's, the video? The, yeah, were there repeat visits to, the, to that information, etc., etc. But... Imagine that, hypothetically speaking, that this group of 25 people that you're reaching out to are all heavy Facebook users or all heavy social media users of some platform. Could you keep a tap on what kind of... Do they, what are they sharing? Exactly. What about the frequency of posting? If we're talking about being mindfulness of your time uh, and you know being more conscious of your ibadah itself here, did their posts start dropping during Salah times all of a sudden? What about during work times here? Could we keep a track of their phone app and say, are you logging into that as much uh, to your your Twitter app as you were previously? Uh, I'll be curious to see what are these other metrics that we could get that are guiding by the stars kind of metrics, right? To give us an indicator of their successes here, of the impact of this learning to them. What if we expanded the circle and said, hey, father support of Abu Bakr uh, as he was a new father or a new leader. Hey, can we keep a track of your, uh, your spouse, your young kids? What are they doing at home? How's the happiness level at home? Are you buying more ice cream, less ice cream? Yeah. What's going on over there, right? <laughs> if you're talking about budgetary concerns, right? Uh, classroom budget, how's your spending habits going down? Can we link it to your Mint account? There's all these other things that at least if we sit down and think about, yeah. we could come up with some things here. There's, um, I mean, there's creative solutions there, but I think the problem that we're running into is it's not even on anyone's radar yet. I, I, don't, I don't think so because one... And, and I also this, it's not just the Islamic education area, yeah, yeah. but it's just learning in general that there's nothing about these things here. Everyone's still focused on content creation <sighs> and information delivery, basically. Yes. Whereas the last thing here, if you say, did this make a difference? Well, maybe you're asking the wrong questions here. What are better learning questions? Did colleges, let's just say colleges as an example, um, in the recent past few years or decade or so, we see that um, there's serious questions about has this college degree gotten you a job? Yeah, like what's the ROI on that degree? Exactly. Um, there's a program by this guy called Adam something. Um, not Adam Tafi. Uh, but Adam something. <laughs> Shout and out. There you go. Uh, based on uh, Bay Area, where he came up with a new hire, pro- uh, with, with a program to help people get jobs in corporate worlds. And it's a 12-month program. Um and in that program, he says the first six months, he's focusing on, uh, you can be a high school graduate or a college graduate entering this 12-month program. He only has 25 seats per program. So once again, A, community. Two, it's all local right now. Once again, community. Three, the skills that he's focusing on, the first six months is education about what topics. He's not talking about communication 101 or physics or um, you know uh, geometry, whatever they teach you at the freshman, sophomore year in colleges. Instead, it's focused on project management. Um, Scrum, Agile, other things like that. What makes a new hire good? That's what he was focusing on. How do I get? Uh, how do I help somebody get a job immediately ASAP? So this is helping them to cultivate the skills that will be most applicable when they start a new job. Exactly. Yes, and then the next six months, they go to uh, intern at um, what's that? Uh, Warby Parker and companies like that. 
Lyft. They're partnered with all those companies in the Bay Area right now. Now, what is the cost of this? Zero. There's zero cost of the entire program for the first three years. For, for the first uh, the 12 month cost. Then he says, we're gonna let you work for uh, three years. And after three years, for the next three years, we request that you donate 10% of your income to, back to us. You're not in debt. They're saying that their program is going to be so valuable and that impactful. You'll, want, you'll even question it. It'll pay, it'll pay for itself versus other learnings that say, come, we'll teach you Python programming. Will this help me get a job? Mm, I don't know. It's a bullet point on your resume. Yeah. <laughs> come, do a, become a PMP because that's going to help you get a better job, right? It's a bullet point on the resume. Wonderful. Where is the Actually, PMP's initials after your name on the resume. Ah, there you go. It's even better. It's even it's better. Up. But this program is actually saying that, listen, if we are saying that we are actually delivering the value we're delivering in our learning program, it will show results. And the result is you'll have a job. Because you'll have the skills that you need that other people aren't getting. Who got that? I found it to be a fascinating program there. And there are similar programs like that coming to Dallas in, in smaller capacities. But I need to look that program up again to see how I can... Uh... So I think it's really interesting. So in an Islamic context, if we applied that yeah. same analogy, Ooh. it would be... You're not... Obviously, the knowledge aspect is the fiqh and the aqid and the hadith and the seer. But then the skills aspect would be how to lead a community, how to develop a community, how to grow a community. Uh, and, and by the way, when we say community, we don't just mean... Uh, I, would just, I wouldn't just limit to Muslim community, but how are you a valuable member off where you live the city you yeah. live in the neighborhood you live in because we're not muslims only in our masjids yeah pretty i hope not but we're i don't know I, yeah, yeah. I, I see the look you guys should see the look on my face right now but but yeah we're, we're muslims everywhere you go right how do you be that wouldn't it be amazing if we could figure out a, a program in metrics like that yeah an islamic sunday school that said that there's zero fees to it because we're so confident of the way we teach it that three years from now, you will be happy to give 10% of, of, your, your, income. <laughs> of your kid's income back to us. That'll never happen. Uh, true, true, true. Right. There's always loopholes they see. Those That's a creative solution. Yeah. And so this guy figured it out. And he's saying that, there you go. It's so good that you'll, you'll want to do this. And it's taken off since last year. And so far, it's doing well. So I'm going to switch gears real quick. Because there's one topic that we wanted to touch on that we haven't had a chance to yet. Mm-hmm. And that was, and this will actually go to that information delivery aspect. Okay. So one one thing that's happened is, and I'll, I'm before I get to my question, I'll kind of give my rant on it. So, I'll, <laughs> uh, which is how to deliver content, and there's you know there's like the the stereotypical thing of oh nobody watches long videos, so we have to make short videos. No one reads books, so we have to make short blog posts. And so everyone kind of internalizes these talking points and then they develop their content around it. Oh, people don't read books anymore, so we have to have these short things. People don't watch long stuff anymore, so we have to have this short thing. And this is how we, and they say, this is how we have to deliver content. Mm-hmm. And my, my hot take, my rant, is that this is actually, even in an age of information abundance, is starting to devalue the information. Uh, because I think that people do read books if they are good and relevant. I think that people do watch long videos, even educational ones, as long as they're well done. 
And I think one thing that I see happening is people are hiding behind these talking points to produce mediocre content. And I wanted to get your take on that. Um, or do you have an opposing hot take? We can argue about it. <laughs> or if a... So I, I think that... Um, uh, so what you're saying here is that these people are making strong because people don't have the intentions. Because these are the talking points in the online learning space, right? That, oh, people don't watch long videos, so make short ones. So I think that... Uh, that's a, uh, sorry. My first reaction to that is oh. <laughs> uh, again. The I I would agree with you that there is a logical fallacy there that people don't watch long videos, therefore we must make short videos. Versus our content sucks for fifty minutes, so therefore let's make our content suck for fifteen minutes only. Yeah. I'm sorry, your Are content th- itself is poorly done. You're not thinking about how to... The issue it. is not the length. Yeah, yeah. Now it's like... No, exactly. So, people are happy to sit through... Ertigrel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right? Um, for hours and hours and hours at a time. There's a reason why Netflix binging is such a cool thing. People enjoy it, so they're happy to do so. There's another concept that I, 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 I a, a, a word that I picked up about a few months ago that I really like, um, binge learning. Mm. Omar wants to learn how to make uh, better briskets. He wants okay. to learn how to smoke briskets. Within one weekend, you'll end up researching the hardware, the software, because uh, there is software now in briskets as well. Okay. Um, the user interfaces in your apps. Um, what, kind of, what kind of charcoal to use, perfection charcoal, this charcoal, that charcoal, all this thing. He'll binge like crazy. He'll sit down and happily watch a two-hour video of a guy talking about cutting, just simply cutting a brisket and what type of knives to use because the content is valuable to him and because the content is not wasting his time. Mm, okay. So it's not a matter of the video on Abu Bakr was way too long, so we got to make it smaller. But rather, it was presented, in my opinion, poorly. So it, it was that my storytelling skills were, were horrible. Right. Oh, you know what it reminds me of? Um, uh, teaching people how to be better presenters. And the first assumption that they have, I've, and I, by the way, I've done these workshops where people walked in thinking, oh, I'm going to be taught how to use PowerPoint better. No, no, no. The mm-hmm. issue was not PowerPoint. The issue was you didn't know how to tell a good story. And so yeah. we actually put them on the spot, on the spot with uh, NLP, Neural Linguistic Programming-based um, content, and those who went in to the, these classes with a intention to learn and improve gave us rave reviews. And those who felt offended that their core of being was uh, insulted. That they're being told that they're not a good presenter. Exactly. Even though they think they're a good presenter. Oh, obviously. I'm, I'm great at this thing. How else did I become a senior leader in my company? Obviously, I must be good at what yeah. I do. Why do I keep giving clickbait every week if yeah, I'm not good at it? Exactly. <laughs> Clearly, the evidence is there. And I give khutbas because I'm there every week. And I'm there every week because I give khutbas. Um, and the same three people tell me every week that I'm good. Yeah. So, 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 um, I, I think the same thing here is with the sound content, where the packaging is poor. The, there's not, when we talk about user case stories, right? We're leaving out the audience completely here. It's yeah. literally the case of, let me design this, um, this software or this, this, um, this house without the resident in mind. And how many times have we walked into a house and said, 
this house makes no sense. Why is the bedroom over there? Why is there a door here? Why is the hallway so long and narrow? It's like oh yeah, we yeah we saw a house like that a, a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah. That the like you there was a triangle shape secondary study that looked like it was just there because there was extra room mm -hmm. and then there was like a game room with a kitchen and then you had to go through the game room to another bedroom like it was a very there's like a house made out of leftovers yeah it's that's how you feel it wasn't a house for like people to live in no, no and it, so this isn't a course that's made for people to learn from it's a course because the person who's teaching it believes that this is my knowledge and this is how it should be transmitted and good for you, buddy. You're the subject matter expert. You have had success in your life here, but that doesn't make you a successful teacher. delivery or an orator or a teacher. It, it reminds me of those, um, I've had friends of mine, doctors, who would think that just because they're so specialized in this one particular industry and they're so smart, therefore they know how to pick the best car, how to pick the best um, transfer, real deal. The expertise transfers. Expertise transfers. So there you go. Um, and it doesn't. It actually fails phenomenally. And that's why in colleges... How many colleges? Oh, you mean like Hadaranda Mushroom? What? No, oh, that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I got my shock face across successfully here. Um, but you know, I, I still remember in college, I had this one undergrad class where the professor was this MIT genius graduate of my college. And first week, 150 kids in the class. Second week, maybe down to like 20, 30 people. Where's everybody else? in the Indian teacher TA's office during office hours crammed into this tiny space as he was explaining to everybody. And I still remember standing there as he was leaning up against the whiteboard, squashed saying, okay, as we can all see, here's how the variables are working. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Expertise doesn't transfer over. Um, I think that uh, the video lent itself of making them shorter. There is an opportunity for that. Let's not discard that, but let's not mix up two different yeah. solutions here. The solution of shorter, snappier content is one thing. The solution that, that, that says that you need to have better designed, intelligent thinking in your content is a separate thing altogether. For length, I heard uh, the vi video should be as long as they need to be mm -hmm. and as short as possible. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So when, when someone says, when someone will put an artificial uh, limit that all our videos must be three, three minutes. minutes. Yeah. Wonderful. But what if the topic only requires 60 seconds? Are you going to fill up the rest of the fluff with what? I was going to say, like, if it's a garbage video, or not garbage, I shouldn't be too uh, negative, but if it's if it's not a good <laughs> video, even if it's three minutes, I'll stop watching after five seconds. Yeah. But if it's a good video, I'll watch 30 minutes. If it's not relevant to you, then why do you care? Yeah. Would you, as a... I mean, when I, when I was researching, uh, I wanted to buy a camera. I've never bought a DSLR before in my life. So I want to buy a camera and I would sit and I would watch videos that were 30 minutes long that were going through. These are the features. This is how you use it. This is what it does. This is what it doesn't do. And then I would watch enough, like, because they were relevant and the information was useful and I could do something with it, I would watch 30 minutes. But a video that started out and I could just tell this isn't going to give me what I want, I would turn it off after five seconds. Exactly. And so that's what we do in our personal life. I think that... Um, my example, huh? I did all my own paperwork for buying my house here. All right, I was my own real estate uh, guy. I did went through all the documentation. I sat and watched a two-hour video talking about the real estate paperwork here for Dallas by myself with headphones, and I just went through two hours of 
what other people would consider boring, mind-numbing uh, video. But to me, it was insanely, insanely useful. It's but what you needed. I, it's what I needed. And I went through it line by line at 1.5x speed, and it was extremely educational for me. All right? One of the longest YouTube videos I think I've seen two hours with just this guy talking about filling in a form. And there was no picture of the guy. Uh, it was just his voice and literally the form and his mouse moving over the, every single line in those seven or eight pages of uh, real estate paperwork. And it was when he was just talking about paper, there's a clear outcome. This yeah. is how you fill it out. Yes. So when you talk about learning objective, his learning objective, there was to inform you of how that form worked, what are the different variables and what it meant, et cetera, et cetera, in there. Okay. He wasn't assessing you in the sense that at the end of this video... You're going to give a quiz. Yeah. <laughs> you can. But that's not <laughs> what his goal was. His goal was to inform. And that was his learning objective. It was met. It, he wasn't trying to... And give me new skills or new abilities he was trying to give me new knowledge and that was great now um this kind of actually reminded me you know studying to pass a test or studying to learn mm -hmm. it happens all the time we do people do this at work right there's a compliance course uh click 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 next next yep. next i'm done it your office says you must do 40 hours of training a year you know when all these people come into training 40 hours before it's due for december it's just jam-packed everything takes a hit all right, it's, it's it's when do people file their taxes? Not April fourteenth. There you go, April thirteenth. Your accountant is like, please don't touch me. Yeah, go back to my accountant too. Yeah. So um, uh, so I, I think that there is uh, what are we talking about? I don't know, learning. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> learning. Yeah, but there was so many little threads here. It's it's fascinating <laughs> here. Uh, I I think that. Uh, the mindfulness aspect of going in with the intention to learn. Um, I think that is that is very absent right now, and it it changes the name, became very very significantly. The other thing I want to talk about here was your something about um, your last best consumer experience. As an example here, um, you go to Whole Foods. Yeah, Whole Foods is a wonderful example. It's commonly available, I think, in the U.S. Um, you are walking to Whole Foods and you stop by and say, hey, um, where can I find good um, chips to go with my salsa? And they say, oh, I can answer that for you. And he'll take you to the chips aisle and say, are you looking at whole grain? Are you looking at salty? Are you looking at uh, lemon lime flavor? What? What are the different brands? Are you looking at organic, non-organic? Are you looking at allergies? What? Go to the whole, you know, 15 yards with you. They're like, oh, wow, that was great. Price of chips, say maybe 10% more than other stores, but great. You then, two weeks later, walk into your local grocery store there and say, hey, um, I'm looking for some chips. And the person will say, um, aisle seven, I think. Yeah. As like, you find a person. Wait, so yeah, first find a person um, who's willing to talk to you, okay? Because they're power walking everywhere else as they can, rightfully so. Um, and aisle seven. You're disappointed at this thing. Even though your local grocery store didn't change its delivery model in the past two weeks, but rather your experience expectations have now increased based on your last best consumer experience. Mm. When we come to Islamic education, like it or not, that educational experience is being compared to your last best consumer or the last best learner experience. That could have been at your Home Depot Saturday morning classes. It wow. could have been in your buddy's uh, Halakha night uh, five weeks ago where the teacher was, was there with you. It could have been at a weekend seminary class here uh, by a well-established seminary. Whatever it is, 
your last best consumer experience becomes your new norm. So expectations are raised. Expectations are raised and change all the time. Yeah. So are our Islamic education frameworks keeping pace? Are they? Well, no, I don't know. Are our Islamic centers keeping pace with what is the definition of the Islamic center? Separate podcast. Yeah. But but the expectations but, have changed. So the, the issue really, if we get down to it, is not a lack of information or even inability mm-hmm. to deliver the information or create, you know, the informational content. It's really what it comes down to is understanding the audience, oh, yeah, understanding what they need and yeah. how they're consuming and what their goals are. Yes. And if and if we can kind of round it up if if those aspects are missing from the discussion, you're set up to fail. Very much so. Um, Even if your revenue is good. You'll make money in the short run. Good for you, buddy. But if your intention is to change the... Uh, set up something for your Akhara, something for Sadka Jariya, oh, I don't Or to have some type of transformational impact in the learner. Yeah. How's yeah. that going along there? When you're not thinking about the learner at all. This is not to say that every whimsy, whimsical desire that the learner comes up with you must, you must yeah i was gonna it. and i was gonna say this this is where the pushback will always be well people don't know what they need to know fair point very fair point all right um somebody wants you to spoon feed their kids on sunday schools yeah that's not realistic but there are you can't just bait you on one crazy request dismiss the whole backlog of suggestions and ideas that's not how improvement works so how, how does an organization strike the balance? I mean, this is probably our last question because we're running short on time here. Um, what what drives the content? Is can Does an organization say, here are the things people need to know, and so we're going to teach them, versus this is what people are demanding? Uh, kind of like the capitalist mindset, so to speak. We're like, well, people want a class on XYZ topics, so we're going to produce it because that's what people want, that's what people pay for, that's what people take. So I think that... Um what you said right now that uh, here's what we need to teach. What we need to teach about Islam, we, we, we have a, a massive legacy of precedence. This is what people need to know about tarbiyah, about etiquette, about manners, about knowledge, how you consume, what are the different topics that they need to consume. That's always been there. It's not as if that's going to take a 100% a 360 degree change in the next uh, yeah. one year. It's largely going to stay as is, largely. I think that um, if you take a look at any business, every quarter or every six months, what does it do? It reevaluates the strategy. It makes sure that it's it's catering to this market. Right. Uh, I would start off with there. Are our Islamic educational institutions keeping up with their audiences every six months and saying, hey, is this use case still relevant? How relevant is it? Do we need to create new use cases instead then? Technology mm. has changed. Delivery has changed. Look, what happens, to, Microsoft HoloLens was, uh, uh, 2 was announced last week, I think. I'm going to be looking at that again. What happens if uh, next year, some um, augmented or virtual reality company says, hey, you know what, we figured this out. It's 10 bucks. That's it. Yeah. Crazy thing here. Reason to think here. What, how it's going to reinvent all the learning again. How, when, how long will it take for our Islamic organizations, any learning or Islamic organization to say, hey, we need to rethink our use case? Versus um, reacting to the buzzwords in the market. Yeah, there you go. So that's what I would say is that um, are we 
do we have updated news cases? Are we paying attention to it? Yeah. <sighs> cool. Yeah. All right, well, Zach Eric. Yeah. Any uh, closing comments? Anything you want to share with all five of our listeners? <laughs> all five of our listeners? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to wear Crocs out anymore, so thank you for that. Okay. Learning outcome was achieved for this podcast. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share with a friend. Uh, If you know any organizations or people who could benefit from the episode, please send it their way. And once again, check the show notes. Make sure you're subscribed. Leave, you know, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you've got any feedback. Uh, send me a message on Instagram or Twitter at Ibn Abi Umar. And as always, please make sure you are signed up for my email list at ibnabiumar.com where I send out blog updates and all that good stuff. And also got a new video up on my YouTube channel uh, finally last week. So please check that out. Zakwa Care. See you on the next episode.